I'm Steve Duke, and this is the Two Roads Podcast. We have a guest on the show today for the first episode in a good few. It's not just me talking for half an hour or 45 minutes. We've got a guest on the show, and we've got a really, really good guest. We have Akansha Malik. So who is Akansha? Well, Akansha studied financial maths and actuarial science at UCC in Cork in Ireland before she realized that actually she wanted to work with people and not just numbers. And so she ended up moving from Cork to Melbourne, where she's now a data and AI consultant. She's a Microsoft AI MVP, and she's also an international speaker. Akancha is actually a very, very cool person. She is, um, she's a founder of this platform as well called Paths Uncovered, which is aimed at showcasing unconventional pathways into technology and helping people thrive in their tech career. So I definitely recommend actually and go and check out the podcast that she has Paths Uncovered, which is kind of similar to this, but much more focused on the tech sector. So if that's something that you want to do, go and check it out. She loves machine learning. She's a big believer that that's becoming more accessible to everybody and she enjoys that she's also a big believer in diversity and inclusion and so she's a huge advocate for women in stem and she's actually currently the network director for women who code melbourne and an advisory board member for collida which is a career growth platform so she does a ton the world of tech seems to be everywhere right now you may work in tech you might have friends that work in tech you might know people who've gone to work in this sector and we often hear stories about people who've carved out very, very successful careers for themselves in this, or certainly ones where they make a lot of money. So if you've ever considered moving into tech, or if you've wondered if it is something that you would enjoy, then this is going to be a really, really good episode for you, because we're going to talk about a few things on this episode with Akansha. We're going to talk about what life is actually like working as a data scientist, which is what she does, and what she enjoys about it, what she doesn't like about it, what her actual day looks like, which is what I always try and get to on these episodes. We break down in detail exactly what sort of salaries you can expect when you're working in this field and how they can grow over time. We talk about why Akansha decided to take a job offer that meant moving to the complete other side of the world. And you'll also get a couple more things. You're going to get advice from Akansha on how to figure out if working in tech is something that you'd enjoy, as well as her top tips for how to actually make that move into tech. So a lot of people think, yeah, I'd love to go and be a data scientist, but where do I start? What do I do? What's the path to actually getting into one of these jobs? And Akansha breaks that down really, really well. You'll also hear about her personal journey, how she ended up burning out last year and what she did to recover from that. And also her top tips for making sure to avoid burnout in your own life. I'm actually hearing more and more stories about people who've burnt out doing a certain job and it doesn't sound good. So this is a good opportunity for you to listen to that, maybe learn a bit about that and hopefully stop yourself from going down that path if it is something that you're at risk of. That's what we've got in store for today's episode. We've got a guest. How nice is that? I hope you're having a wonderful day. I hope you enjoy this episode. So now let's get into episode 41 of the Two Roads Podcast with Akansha When you were a kid, do you remember if there's anything that you really wanted to be when you grew up? Yeah, I mean, like, usually it was always medicine because that's what I was trying to do and become a doctor and stuff. But actually recently, the other day, I remembered the first thing I ever wanted to do was be a teacher and that was honestly just because I wanted to be able to write on the board like I was obsessed with writing on the board that was the only thing 
like I didn't care about the teaching part. I didn't care about what people learned. I was just like, I want to be the one writing on the board. And then the smart board things came out and I was like, I want the marker on the digital thing. Uh, yeah, teaching apparently. I'm kind of, I mean, I do do a lot of training and stuff now. So maybe it has flown through my uh, life a little bit more, but teaching and then I wanted to be a doctor for a while. Yeah, what, like at what stage is that like in school? Or? Oh yeah, like as in that was like the first thing on like my CAO, like my uh, going into college and stuff. Like I missed it by like five points. Like my life changed based on five points. And I'm like so thankful that I did not get into med. Like I've never been more thankful about something that ever happened to me rather than like me trying to make a decision on. Well, why do you say that? Oh, it could not have been me. Like I look back and I'm like, really? I, I would have hated it. Like, I don't know what I was thinking. I mean, I watched a bit too much of Grey's Anatomy. I can probably say exactly why that I wanted to be a doctor, but like, it was so it's I mean yeah I see all my friends who are doctors and stuff and that was never going to be me <laughs> just from a lifestyle perspective or in terms of like the type of work they do or what kind of everything like the lifestyle as well I mean at the other end there was like the constant exams the constant learning the constant everything I'm like I really is I've realized that's not me anymore or it was even by the time I got to college I was like oh no no um so yeah it was a lot of the kind of I really it would not have suited me and I would not have suited it, which thank God I realized that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny how those things, it's so funny how those things work out, isn't it? Like, wait, so what did you do in university then? Um, I was looking back at this recently and I was like, oh, what did I put down with you? It was medicine. And then the next thing was maths. I had a, like, that's what I ended up doing. And that was essentially just like, okay, I don't want to. And that was like, at that time, a lot of the things were like, well, what if you don't get it? What do you want to be the next thing? I'm like, I don't know. I'm obviously going to be a doctor. Um, but I used to be good at maths in school. And I was like, oh, I can do that. I literally, that was, that was it. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what else I could be doing with it. We'll figure out the rest of it. Uh, so it was med, doc, uh, maths, and then pretty sure there's like neuroscience in there. There's dentistry in there somewhere. I'm like, I'm never going to be a dentist. Like that was never even like, I don't know why that was in there. And it would have never happened on the list that it was the way, it, anyway, bizarre list of things, but I ended up doing a maths degree. And then within that, we ended up, uh, you specialize within things. So I did a actuarial science and financial maths degree, which was four years of pain and torture. <laughs> you know made it through um I don't know how honestly I mean it was a lot of pushing through and getting dragged through by friends but I don't regret it I made the best friends I could have in the year and like it just the whole four years gave me a very good foundation of like learning how to learn because <laughs> a lot of it was self-taught essentially at that stage it's like I don't understand what they are telling me because I just can't comprehend that level of math at what they were teaching it at I just wasn't understanding that straight away. So having to teach it all to myself and then figuring it out as it went. But yeah, the four, four years were very interesting. <laughs> mm. I'm, I'm sure we're going to talk about it later on but, um, when we talk about kind of the tech sector in general and that concept of like learning how to learn because, you know, a lot of people end up working in tech. Like that is how they get in there is like they teach themselves the skills. But like, um you know, as a bit of a foreshadow, I'm actually quite interested. It's like, what did you learn in university about learning how to learn? Because like, I'm always thinking about this. Um, like I spent a lot of time like trying to learn stuff and I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure if this is actually efficient. I'm not sure if like this is going in or if there's a better way for me to be, to be learning these things where there's like, was there any kind of like nuggets that you took away where it's like, oh, this is how I learned really well. I think for me, the biggest one was, um, it took me a really long time to to realize this, even though it was kind of in front of my face, writing things out is how I actually learned. Even though I, I'd say 
explaining things to people and like saying things out loud is how I thought I learned because I again I'm like it's something that I'm like oh I just that, that's what it works and I talk to people and I get it then yes but for me to actually retain a lot of the stuff I had to write it down and I had to write it out again and again on my own like hand and paper like it had to be done that way um and like right before exams and it was so interesting this has only been a recent realization because someone else has talked about this and I was like I did that too but I didn't realize I did this I was I would write like tiny 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 writing on like the small little page like a little postcard and I would write every single thing basically that was going to be like important in that exam coming up let's say in like all squished into this tiny page but I could rem- and I would look at it and read it right before I'd go into an exam and I can picture that exact thing as I sat down and I'd be able to write it back out and I'm not saying I have a photographic memory at all but because I'd just written it and because I had done the work like I can almost like always usually just picture exactly where that thing's written down so when I take meeting notes and stuff now I know I'll remember writing it down on a certain piece of paper (laughs) more than writing out like typing out notes and stuff so I think it's interesting how you actually retain things how you write them down and how you take it back in um and I mean I did that before every exam but if you even like up until fourth year, if someone asked me, how do you remember stuff? It's like, oh, it's when I talk to people. Like clearly was not what I did. And yet yeah. that's what I kept perceiving it. So it's really interesting to try and figure those things out. I mean, a lot of it is just time and perspective where you step away from it. And you're like, oh, that's what actually worked. And I lied to myself a lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, I can still remember. I think I'm actually quite similar to you in terms of the way that I learned because I can still remember like, a page from like my third year history book um, and that had like essays on it and stuff. And like, I would just be able to go into, again, I don't think it was like photographic, right? No. I, but I guess it, but, but then what else is it, right? <laughs> yeah. Like, it seems like, it seems like exactly the description of a photographic memory, but like, you know, I'm not one of these like, like, you know, crazy um, like savants who's able to just like look at something and like remember it. Like that's not the case, but like certainly when I'm taking notes, like I think like if I think in my head now, of like a meeting I was in yesterday and the notes that I took, like I can kind of see yeah. that I can see that page of notes and like start to recall some of it. But again, like there was other no- notes that I would have taken like digitally or whatever. And like, I just don't remember them. Yeah. And um, yeah, I actually, I, I, I want to learn more about memory because like, I'm very concerned. Like my memory is like not what it used to be. Oh, I, know um, I used to be so good at memorizing. So I just remember. And now like, relevant to the amount of information i consume on a daily basis like my ability to recall it is is very low and i have other friends who are like not like that and i'm just like i think i actually consume more information than you but you retain like way more than i do i mean and especially for me like i know for a fact covid for me it played a really big part in my memory and i really like again like i want to dive into it a bit and like figure out what it plays or doesn't play because pre-2020 like i used to be like specific conversations I would remember exactly what was said like six years ago like it was it was just very normal for me and then I'm like I can barely remember what someone said to me like two days ago or even like an hour ago I was in a meeting and I'm like did I do all the things I said I was going to do because I didn't write them down I don't know I know it's a bit worrying it is it's very worrying um but okay well hopefully you can remember what you did after university (laughs) so so you finish up then your degree uh where you kind of specialize in uh actuarial science right Yep. Um, so, and then, and then what happened next? Like, so you leave university, did you go into a graduate job? What, what were you doing? Yeah. I mean, so within uni slash college, um, it was really interesting because I basically spent four years 
figuring out what I didn't want to do. Like I really didn't know what I actually wanted to do, but I knew what I didn't. I basically just went through and tried everything I could and tick them off. Like, I mean, at one stage I thought I was going to be an investment banker in London. Like I was in London doing interviews and I'm like, oh, this, this is going to be the, yes, this sounds great. Like very fancy career. Again, like in hindsight would have been a terrible decision for me. I'm glad I didn't get through to the final round of that. Um, but yeah, like a lot of that kind of stuff throughout college, like actuarial science was an option. Um, investment banking was another one consulting like I was doing a lot of consulting I did an internship in consulting so I was trying that out my god this kind of this kind of works this seems like a go and what actually ended up happening was so my family had moved to Australia when I was just starting college uh, as a first year college so I used to do a lot of back and forth every time like every summer every winter break um and I was here and randomly got chatting to someone and they're like, oh, you seem to do a lot of stuff that people at work seem to be doing. Do you want to maybe have a chat to some of them? And I was like, I don't know. Okay, sure. I'll go have a chat. Uh, that chat turned into like a, oh, you should come work for us. We've got a grad program. And I'm like, but I have a job in Dublin <laughs> and I'm meant to be going back there. <laughs> and I have a house in Dublin with a, my best friend and I'm meant to be living in Dublin in two months time. And they're like, but here's double the money. And I was like, oh, okay, God, I'm going to move to Australia. Uh, so that's essentially what happened. Um, so I graduated uh from cork and um, like ucc finished my degree and in september instead of starting a job in dublin moved to melbourne and started a grad job here as a data science grad um at a small tech consulting firm and they basically looked at i mean for very like i was very open with like i i'm not technical like i'm not a tech person like i don't know what that means i the most amount of technical stuff in my degree we did was a little bit of programming with like our language that was just because one of the modules had it. We were never even taught the basics of it, um, but I had used it. And I liked it. Those were kind of the ones I actually find um, really easy comparatively to the other theoretical modules that we did in degree. Um, and I remember my uh, soon-to-be boss in my grad role, he was just like, ah, you've got the basics. You've got the theory. We'll teach you the rest. How hard could it be? You're a smart person. You do maths for a degree. You can figure out the rest. And I was like, Okay, sure, grand done. Um, and I mean, I was, like I deferred my role in Dublin. I wasn't gonna be like, let's dive in fully into this whole new world. Um, I was like, oh, worst case scenario, I'll give myself a year. I'll go live in Australia for a bit, see what's like. Uh, if I really hate it, I can come back. Um, yeah, five years later, I'm still here, so <laughs> I didn't really hate it that much. But yeah, that's essentially kind of where we started off. So you tried these other roles, right? Like, or, you know, you'd kind of been testing them out either through internships or even just going through the interview process. And, um, you know, you figured out, as you said, like the ones that weren't for you. But what was it about this role then that made you say, oh, yeah, actually, this is something that does appeal to me apart from, you know, double the salary? I mean, that was always going to be a very handy plus. But um, no, honestly, the consulting part. So when I did the internship, it was in risk advisory, I think, in management consulting. Um, and I liked that part of the talking to stakeholders and clients and seeing what they're doing and what they're figuring out and how can we come in and help. I was like, oh, like I get to just go in and see all the different things businesses have to face problems with, uh, but not the boring day-to-day -day stuff. That was kind of what it was sold to me as at that time. And I'm like, oh, that seems kind of cool. Um, and I guess what this was offering me was essentially that same aspect because it was still consulting. You were still going in to go help fix problems and stuff but it was just adding in the kind of data science part or like data technical part, which when I looked back at a lot of the degree, the like three, I think math, I think we had three programming uh, modules. Though I enjoyed those, like I really did. And like 
the small little part of it that we didn't do in college. I'm like, oh, maybe this could be a mix of both worlds. Like we can try another new thing and see if this could be something I enjoy for a little while slash maybe it's not the right thing and I can go back to the other one that I did kind of like. Um, so yeah, it was kind of a mix of these all seem intriguing and I haven't tried this one yet. So why not? <laughs> yeah, and very nice option that you kind of have um, you know, a fallback, right? So it's like worst case scenario, you go back to the thing that you're kind of happy to go and do anyway. Yeah. And exactly. um, okay, so so I'm quite interested because you know people might be listening to this who are either in a similar position, right, where they're finishing up university, having done like perhaps they've done a very technical degree or or perhaps not, right? Like they might have done something like maths or even some elements of engineering that are not like I mean, for example, like mechanical engineering is like in many ways technical. That's what I did, but um, we certainly don't have many like data science capabilities, right? Um. But you've gone into this role at this point where they were like, hey, look, you're smart. You've done maths. Like, we reckon we can teach you the rest. Like, what does that actually look like? Like, do you rock in day one and they're like, okay, like, sit down. We're going to teach you Python or, you know, what actually happens, like, for somebody who knows nothing about this field? Yeah, what happens is a lot of Googling to begin with. Um, I remember... I think the other end of it is I can't, I mean, look, I didn't make it easy for myself. Um, adding in the whole moving to the other side of the world was maybe not the best decision at the same time as like a whole different job. Because in Ireland, the expectation of graduates is like, oh, you come in, we expect you to do absolutely nothing and we'll teach you everything. Like, it'll be fine. Don't worry about it. I didn't know if that was the same in Australia at that stage. And I didn't know anyone in Australia to ask that question. Like, I didn't know anyone my age here. Like, I was like, all right, I'm going to move to this other, like, we'll figure it out, right? It'll be okay, right? Like, someone say yes. Like, I don't know. Um, So a lot of it, like, I remember it got the nerves for the first, like, the weeks leading up to it. I was like, do they expect me to know stuff? Because I don't know anything. Like, I swear I know nothing. I feel like they think I'm really smart. And I feel like they've somehow hoodwinked themselves. Not, like, I didn't even hoodwink them. They did it to themselves. I don't know how. Um, But I rocked in and... It was kind of like that. Like, I mean, someone was on the bench and they weren't on a client side and they're like, oh, have you heard of SQL? I'm like, what is SQL? They're like, SQL? I'm like, you're saying letters to me. Um, and I literally said that to him. Maybe not a great decision. But he was like, all right, let's sit down. And this is a person who I've talked about him so much, like Bernard Spence. Like he has spent his whole career, like 40 odd years working with these kind of things. The man sat down and was like, right, so SQL is when we deal with tables and this is how we deal store data. And like fully broke it down. I spent half the morning with me just doing it. And it wasn't like a dedicated program. This was just people kind of coming yeah. up being like, hey, have you figured this thing out yet? I'm like, no, let's go have pop into a room. We'll whiteboard it out. Like that's kind of what. That's amazing. Oh, it was, I fell into the best place ever by complete luck. Like, don't get me started. Like it was just unbelievable. And a lot of that kind of stuff happened at the start where it was, hey, have you heard of Power BI? And I'm like, not what's this and they're like oh okay here's a core crash course go spend the day trying to figure it out like okay uh which was the coolest thing i've ever done to be honest and i was like if i had this in college and if i knew what this was my god my life would have been so much easier <laughs> um so a lot of that happened for the first i want to say two months um where i was kind of put onto internal projects or like that power bi project which is just a data visualization tool um internally they're like hey we don't have any visuals on what people are working on and not working on. So if someone's on bench, what are they doing? Or if they're on a client side, we just don't have a bit like full visualization of that across the board, which I was like, you, you don't, that seems oddly surprising for a consulting company. Like they're like, yeah, we do, but it's not easy to use blah, blah. Can you go build it? And I'm like, 
okay. <laughs> and I kind of, like, it was, they would make little kind of internal projects like that for me where I would just figure it out. Uh, mm. I learned, I mean, I realized early on that I'm not very good at asking for help. Um, cause I want to be able to figure it out. Cause I've been I'm like, well, I'm supposed to be a smart person who can figure this out. I should be able to figure it out. Uh, so I learned the hard way of like, well, it could take three days trying to figure something out. And if I just ask someone, it'll take 20 minutes. That's a best, better use of all of our times. Um, so a lot of that kind of stuff was what we figured out, um, in the first like two months. Um, so yeah, that's how kind of the starting of the learning part happened. <laughs> that went about, you know, not being kind of willing to ask for help is a very interesting one. Cause like, I always say that to say people who are like just starting off in their career or whatever else, or even if they're looking for a job, you know, they feel like they have to do it all by themselves. And I'm just like, no, like your job is to get the job done, right? Like everybody asks for help. You can go to like, I don't know, the CEO of Airbnb, right? When he's got a problem, do you think he just sits down in his office and is like, I need to like, solve this by myself until it's solved right i can't ask for help no of course not like and it's actually quite a skill to be able to ask the right people for help with the right things and to be able to take that on board and it's just like that's a skill in itself is like to be able to ask for help and do that support but like i think it takes some sometimes it takes a while for people to learn it but within that though like you do want to try like and this was kind of the bit that i couldn't find the balance on it's like you you don't want to be like, hey, I don't know how to do this. Can someone just help? And you don't want to be that person where you're like constantly just being like, I don't know what to do. Like you do want to try and figure out or like go to someone with help. But you're like, hey, this is what I did and what I got to. And this is what I'm stuck on. Is it how, what do I do next kind of a piece? So like time boxing is the biggest thing that I learned at that time. I was like, right, I'm going to spend an hour. And once I've got to wherever I have an hour, in an hour, I've blocked in a call with this person. And I'm going to ask them like, this is where I got to. And if I didn't, if I've solved it, great. I can just tell them I solved it. Otherwise, what do I do next? Yeah, it's a great problem. You go to people with like, you know, if somebody comes to me and it's like, hey, you know, I'm trying to find a job and here's what I've done. I'm stuck on X, Y, and Z, Yeah. right? Then I'm like, okay, first of all, you've put in a lot of effort, so I'm more willing to help you. Second of all, I'm able to help you because you've given me specific problems, right? Yeah. Whereas like somebody just comes with like the overarching problems, like, hey, I want to get a job. I'm like, Okay, first of all, I don't think you committed. Second of all, I have no idea like where to start with you. So like, I can't really be any, of any help to you. So you, you're 100% right. It's good to give it a go. But then also it's like a skill to know like how to ask for help as well. And um, we talk about, so like data science obviously now is like a fairly popular career, right? Like there's a lot of people going into it, a lot more people working in it. There's a lot of people who want to work in it. And um, I think if if somebody was like, say, just Googling, oh, like, you know, what is it? to be a data scientist. Like they're probably gonna find some sort of generic description around, you know, oh, we work with data to like solve company problems, you know, through whatever else. And it's just like, okay, but like, what the fuck does that mean in terms of like what you do day to day? So how do you describe it in a way that people can actually grasp what it might look like to work in this type of role? Yeah, and it's, and I'm just going to quantify that a little bit at the start of like, I've only really worked in consulting. So it's going to be a little bit different to people actually working in a company and building a lot of specific internal industry stuff. Yes. Um, but Should we split them then? Is it yeah. easier to like, like, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Right. So if you're in the industry and you are, for example, a machine learning engineer or a data scientist, there's about a billion different titles you could be at the stage. Pick whatever one you feel like these days. Um, they all basically mean the same thing. Um, but 
what you're probably going to be doing is you're going to be working in a team of about three to four people. So someone's going to be managing the actual data. Like, how do we store it? How do we keep it clean? What do we do with it? And then there'll be someone managing kind of how do we take that data and put it into different places and so that pipelining and engineering. So that's the engineering piece of it. Um, so someone's making sure the data is moving from the storage to somewhere the other people can access it without breaking the whole thing and ruining the um, kind of quality control side of it. Um, so that's two different people. And then the data scientist kind of is comes in and they're like, okay, you've got clean data. Amazing. Never happens in real life, but closest thing we can get to it. They'll come in and they'll actually start doing experimentation. They'll start trying out different models and whether that's in Python or R or whatever programming language that they're using within that industry or company, um, that's where they'll start doing the data science bits that we are all known and used to. Um, and then there's still work after it, right? Like a data scientist, technically all they're really doing is working and building a model. So they're just experimenting. It's like, oh, that worked. Let me try that. Let me change this little thing and try that. Once they've built a model, the actual model going into production is a very different piece of problem and getting it to be used afterwards. And that's, again, a lot of engineering stuff, right? Or even software engineering kind of comes into it, of like hooking it up into the right places where people, it can be accessed from different things and it's secure and all those things. And this is the kind of world of data, like tech in general, where like no one can have all the skills anymore at all. Like it's just impossible. It's just such a wide level of skills that are required that you kind of end up doing small pieces of it. So that's usually what it looks like within a team um, in the industry. So you could be working on a specific project, which might be, hey, we want to try and create predictions of X. And that's what you're doing for a couple of months and you're all working together to get there. And then you'll come up with a new project and you'll kind of start the cycle again. So that's usually what it looks yeah. like in the industry. And in the consult- and, and on that one, because I just want to go on that one for a little bit longer than we can switch over to consulting. So say you're, um, so, so what might your, like your day look like? If you're say, if you're a data scientist, like are you spending the vast majority of your day, like actually writing code? Um, is it more like working with stakeholders in meetings or working with the other people in your team like you know what does that kind of split look like in terms of like how you're actually spending that day yeah look realistically there will be BAU like their business as usual activities that you'll be given somewhere outside of like whatever project you're working on um so within almost any tech project I want to say you'll work within that like agile methodology like some part of agile right um so what you'll usually end up seeing and what that it's just a type of project management um so you'll usually work in two week sprints so you'll have dedicated work you'll decide as a team that you'll get done in two weeks and every morning you'll do your stand-up and so basically the whole team gets together it's usually like 20 minutes kind of a catch-up of like hey this is what i did yesterday what i plan on doing today if anyone needs help like that's kind of usually the team updatey vibe so that's what usually a data science any kind of team in tech morning will look like they'll start with the stand-up you get your update you try and work on the things you said you're going to work on um and that basically iterates i mean within the day there might be other meetings of like hey we need to make sure that our data storage there's a meeting about that or there might be a meeting of like hey we want to add a new column because we're picking up this extra piece of data from somewhere what format do you want that on? Like, and that's something that everyone in the team is probably going to have some kind of opinion on of like, hey, can we make sure it's in this kind of a format so that it doesn't kill me down the line where I can't access it or whatever else it is in the modeling and stuff. So everyone will have opinions on that. Uh, so those are the kind of meetings that probably will happen um, in terms of kind of building and uh, production work. But yeah, so two weeks time and then within the two weeks, you'll usually have other um, sprints 
activities to do. So things are like retro, like, hey, what worked well over the last two weeks? Let's just have like, you'll put dedicated two hours aside to go back over um, kind of this worked well, this didn't work well. I didn't appreciate this. I think we picked up too much work for this one. Maybe let's have it like all those kind of things of just reviewing your two weeks um, as well as then replanning for do you plan for the next sprint and then you do a blackout cleaning of like hey have we got everything what are we going to bring into the next sprint though i mean if you think like i know there's uh companies that were like yes we're going to work on a weekly sprint and I'm like weekly sprint means you're basically spending more than half your time just doing these sprinty things it's disgusting no one wants to do that and it takes time uh, but there is a trade-off of like does it work all the time no some projects don't actually need that level of it some do um so that's kind of usually what that whole life cycle looks like i don't know if that helps yeah 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 i think it probably hopefully it gives people kind of an idea of what you know a day or a given week or fortnight might look like and for anybody who's like familiar with kind of agile and this methodology they're probably hearing a lot of words so they're like oh yeah i know that and you know people either love or hate it um, but for people who don't, they're probably like, what the hell is going on? And I mean, like, what are all these things? I, I remember, but you're right. It's just a way of managing projects. Yeah. Right? And I remember at some stage, this was at like when I was doing an insulting or uh, consulting internship. Um, and someone was like, okay, we're going to do a stand up. And I was like, what is that? And they're like, oh, it's where we all just stand up together. And I think we do a team update. And I was like, do we have to stand for Like, I was like, <laughs> are we really understanding what this is? And like, I mean, it was a very new thing back then as well. So it was like, they were like, no, we're figuring it out as we go. But they used to actually stand up and like, they were like, no, we're going to go stand together at the end of the room and do a project update. I'm like, oh, at least we've gone past that. I did that before too. We were able to stand up. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the idea behind it is because if you stand up, Oh, it's quicker. Everybody wants, yeah. Every, yeah, because everyone's like, fuck this, I want to get out of here. Yeah, fair. <laughs> you know I, I think maybe we should all be standing up a bit more then. <laughs> I've seen stand-ups go true. way too long, but yeah. Oh, man, I, that kills me. Um, okay, cool. So that's like if you're like in the industry, right? So if you're, say, working for a company that actually creates a product, again, you know, the Airbnbs, Ubers, the Canvas, the Atlassians of this world, right? If you're actually working for them, um, but you're working as kind of a data in a data consultancy right so that's slightly different so how do you kind of describe what that work looks like and how it's different yeah so i mean what consulting could be and especially in tech consulting it can kind of look very different depending on each project because the project dictates what they actually need so there might be some projects where you're basically just adding into that team that already exists at a client site right so that two-week structure you might just be slotting into that team and working alongside that team as they go along and that's that's it that you'd follow exactly what they're doing um so i've seen like i've got colleagues who've worked like within a team like that for a year so i mean they might as well be working that long but they're just one of the consultants in there trying to help out and you see that happen a lot in australia especially when there's a tech shortage or tech skill shortage um so they just can't find people fast enough or there might be different projects i've been a project parts of project where they've and again it's part of the skill shortage where the person they had has had to move on or they've decided to leave um, and they're just not finding someone straight away. <laughs> they're like, there is going to be such a gap. So they'll just get a consultant in to be like, hey, can you take the handover? That's literally what I did. Like I took the handover from the person who was leaving, understood, just kept everything as it is and just maintained the levels they were at. It's like, oh, if anything breaks in the morning, I'll go in and just make sure it's okay. And that's it. That's all I did until they hired the next person. And I just handed it back over to them and I was gone. So that was like a four week project. Um, where they kind of just needed bodies um, to help keep everything steady. Um, so there's a mix of different things like that. Or a client might just have, hey, we have a project. 
where we need some kind of an ML model built. We just need it as a one once off. We're never going to need that again, really. So it doesn't make sense for us to justify hiring a whole like data science team. That doesn't make sense to them, which is fair. Um, where finding and like hiring machine learning engineers mm. is impossible, especially in this day and age. Um, so that's where they might just outsource that piece of work. So we might just go and do that specific project from scratch to end and deliver that. And that's that. So we might do a bit of training at the end of it being like, Hey, this is how you guys can actually maintain this and how you actually make sure it doesn't break down the line. But if it does, we're here to help again, if you need it. So there's different levels within kind of the consulting tech world. Um, and what your day-to-day -day looks like within that is anyone's guess, honestly. Um, but most of the time, if you are on a client project, that same structure kind of takes place. Like the daily stand-up, you'll be giving your updates, you'll be kind of doing the work. Realistically, you'll be talking to a lot more people because you're a consultant and you don't know the business and you'll never really know the business. So you're constantly going to just be like, hey, so I'm trying to do this. Can I have an hour of your time where you can run me through what you've been working on and how it all works and how it all connects them together? So a lot of that kind of discovery piece happens and figuring out where everything sits and things like that. Yeah. And like you were talking there about, you know, how hard it is to find, you know, machine learning engineers or kind of data scientists in, in general. Um, and I've heard these stories of, you know, these types of roles getting paid like crazy, crazy money in, you know, the Googles and Amazons and Facebooks of this world, like literally like seven figure salaries, <laughs> which is absolutely bonkers. Um, the money must be good, right? Like considering how valuable these roles are to companies and kind of the shortage that there is on the supply side. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, it's a real interesting piece. I think like the money has got, I mean, money isn't great as great as San Francisco. Don't get me wrong. It's not that stupid in pricing. Um, but the other end of it is there's a lot, there is good money. Like, I mean, you could probably get ML engineers going for like over 180, like easily going all the way up to 300. Like I've heard of people doing that. Um, it does come with the caveats of like experience and what that word actually means. That is something I have a bone to pick with. And that's just like a whole thing of like, I've seen people being like, yes, Gen AI, we need someone who's like 10 years experienced. And I'm like, Gen AI became a thing <laughs> that's actually usable in the, in what you're asking for in the last year, please calm down. What they're actually saying is like, Hey, we need someone who understands large language models and all these different techniques and stuff. You don't need experience within that technology for that long to be able to do that. What you need is a background in understanding those things. Like, Hey, if I've worked on models or if I've worked on problems like this or theoretical physics, I will be able to figure that out. And it's like a lot of the transferable side of things is very easy. Sorry. I'll take those words back. That is very big lie for me. It's not very easy, but it is a lot easier to use those transferable skills that you have picked up and built over time that you don't need the word experience as often. Uh, but there's a real disconnect in terms of the people hiring for a lot of these roles and the people actually need the roles and um, they tend not to understand what the difference yeah and you know like this podcast is kind of about helping people to explore like other careers right um, and so if somebody's listening to this and, and thinking about this as role um or career that they'd like to pursue um but they're like hey you know I've heard the money can be good. You kind of gave one example there of what it might look like yeah. for kind of um, an ML engineer, like as a range, but like what could somebody kind of expect at the different levels, like in terms of kind of entry and like how that might like progress just to give people a sense yeah. of what it looks like. Cause you know, I, I often get so frustrated with like how untransparent 
um, a lot of this is. And it's just like, look, if somebody's going to change their job or you go back and, you know, spend a year learning this or longer, like they need to know what's on the other end of it for them, even if it's not the most important thing about the role. So how do you kind of think about like what that salary might look like for somebody when they start off and how it changes like through different roles? Yeah. And look, you might get really, really lucky at the start, right? You get a grad role where like, I mean, places like Atlassian and Google, they're paying 90, 80, 90 K for grads, like hundred K for grads. That happens and you'll hear those numbers and I, it's a really easy trap to fall into to start comparing that early. It's good to compare because it's good to know the market and it's good to know the numbers and being like, hey, I'm not being paid well <laughs> and I should go ask for more. 100% do that. But there's a difference and I think people need to be a little bit more aware of that, that just because it's Atlassian and that's their standard of like, they'll start at 92K or whatever it is for grads that's not the same and reality for almost every other business. So as a grad, um, I haven't looked at the numbers recently in fairness, but like I'd expect anything around that 70K mark. Um, some will be lower, like I'm pretty sure big four are quite a bit lower than that. Um, others will be a little bit higher. So if there's like a boutique consulting firms, they're probably gonna be higher, but if you're working in industry, it's gonna be somewhere a little bit. So there's caveats to these numbers, obviously, but grad would be something around 870. Um, and you can work your way up to kind of like that little, just above junior level um, at around the hundred mark is where I would say. Um, and in terms of consulting, if I'm looking at consulting numbers, like that's consultant level. So there's grad consultants, they're about 70-ish, 100-ish is about a consultant. Senior consultants in a data world um, are around 120 up is what I would reckon. And whenever people come to be like, hey, I wanna try and get more money, this is what I'm on. I'm like, you are being well underpaid. Let's have a chat. Um, so th and there's, there's numbers out there, like go have a look at Glassdoor, have a look at, I think, Hayes or whatever those HR companies are. They do release numbers of like this per city, per role, per all of that kind of stuff. Um, so senior consultants are at about 120 to I think, I would say maybe even 160, like somewhere around that. And then managing and principal consultants and all those. And then it just kind of depends on like what you're bringing to the table from that number upwards then. That's super helpful. Oh, I'm happy to talk about numbers any day at this stage. Like come talk to me about numbers. I'll do it. <laughs> and so I'm interested to know like, what is it about? And I want to come back to your story in a minute, you know, and take kind of pick up where we left off, right. And kind of bring us up to like where we are today. But, you know, when we look at working in the world of, of data science, what is it about it that you enjoy? Ooh, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that in a while. Um, and I think, sorry, just, this is going to take a little bit of step back for me. Like when I started and it was because I was trying to figure out what the hell this whole thing is. And someone was like, Hey, go do some cloud computing. I'm like, what is cloud computing? Like, what is these new words? Keep people throwing them. And I basically what happened with me for two years as a grad was constantly feeling dumb. <laughs> And it took so long to get to a stage where I was like, wait, no, I actually know stuff because what happened, like I kept just getting put onto back-to-back -back projects where I was starting from scratch. So the first project I was put onto was like a big data project, which had a specific tech stack attached to it. So I think it was like Spark and like a specific type of language. And I'm like, I've never learned this. And they're like, you'll figure it out. I'm like, I'll figure it out. Um, and it was basically, they're like, hey, this is kind of what the code looks like for this. This is what we need to do. I'm like, okay. I got to make this look something like this and get this answer. I can kind of join that pipeline somewhere. And so that's how I learned. Like I figured it out by doing that kind of stuff. Um, and then I would Google afterwards when I started figuring things out. I was like, oh, okay, I, I think I get that now. Um, and within that, then like the next project I think was like a data warehousing project, which is like data storage and stuff. I'm like, 
what is this? This is a whole new world. And then it was like trying to learn SQL properly and actually implement it. And so yeah, two years of constant projects where I knew nothing going into the project. And I was like, I don't know anything. Like I'm actually dumb. Like, I mean, nothing I've ever been on a project being like, I can do something. It was bizarre. But I think I was at a uh, hackathon or something that I got randomly thrown into. And I was at a table of... And these are all people who've like worked like 10 years in the industry. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be the weight that they have to drag along on this team. I'm so sorry. Like, I don't know why I came. And it turned out they were like, oh, like what language should we choose for this project? And everyone's like, they're one individual language they wanted to choose. And I'm like, actually, I could do them all. Like, it's great. Pick whatever one you want. And I was like, oh, wait, I see what's happened here. It took, it was a real moment of clarity. It was like, oh, wait, I do know stuff. Um, but yeah, so those two years, what they gave me was like a really good kind of view of all the different parts of data. So within the data world, there's kind of data, like historical data. So you're just storing it, keeping it clean, you get the data, and then you can do kind of um, retrospective stuff with it. So that's making visualizations and reports, and this is what we did in the past, and this is what happened. And then there's the prescriptive stuff, which is, okay, now that we've got all this stuff, what can we go look forward from this? Can we predict something? Is there trends at attached to it? So those are the three main buckets of data that I see. Um, and I got to try all of them. And that prescriptive stuff was just the cool stuff. And part of it played into the fact that it had statistics as a degree. Like a lot of that kind of, hey, what do these trends mean? Or what's the probability of this happening? That is what the whole degree that I did was around. So when those kind of things started popping back up, that was what was interesting. So for me, it wasn't the fact that I was like, oh, data science is really cool because it wasn't cool back then. <laughs> data science was like this unknown thing and now it's become really cool. Um, so for me at that stage, it was like, oh, okay, great. I really liked, I mean, the data storage stuff was kind of boring to me. I was like, oh, grand, there's, this has been done and dusted. Like people have been doing this for like 80 years. Like I don't really care. Um, the visualization stuff I really enjoyed being able to showcase like, hey, this is what the data actually says and what we found within the data. That was always really fun and interesting, but like, twisting that around to being like but this is what you could do that was such an interesting piece that was still getting figured out and i was there helping them figure it out basically um because we were starting to build out the data science capability at the place i just started which partly was why they hired me as well they're like hey you can help bring this wave along i'm like oh we'll bring the wave great um so that's where the data science piece happened for me uh it just became interesting because i was like oh it's kind of attached to what i used to do and also i think it's such an unknown thing that it'll be fun. Um, what it turned out to be was it wasn't just us that thought it was really cool because it was unknown. Everyone thought that. But what that meant for a business side is it's really, really hard to sell. Um, if you go into a business and you're like, hey, we want to do cool stuff. And they're like, great, what are you going to come up with? And we're like, we don't know. We'll tell you when we do it in three months' time, but like, give us the money and commit to us having to spend three months doing this. No one would accept that degree like they just that made no sense um because we could never tell them what will come at the other end because we didn't know until we did it which was what i thought was cool but then like having to sit in so many pre-sales meeting where no one was understanding of that they're like oh well we can't justify dollars to that sounds great that was really really grim so i have done my fair share of like proof of concept work uh that is sitting in some graveyard somewhere in the corners of the internet uh realistically but that was kind of where the data science side of things started mm. and why it was interesting to me. It was just like, it's an unknown. Yeah. Well, that, that's cool. I think it's, you know, one of the, you know, there are some industries where there still is a lot of unknown and 
industries that are moving at a certain pace and like there's a frontier in them where like every day there's like a new piece of news about like something that's been released or discovered or whatever else and like data science is definitely one of those and so i think if it's if you're somebody you can tell me if this is a fair assessment if but if you're somebody who like likes that who likes kind of having to constantly learn and be at that edge where you're like figuring things out and figuring new things out every day then like it's probably a pretty cool industry to be in um where there's like other ones where it's like hey look like we've kind of figured out how this thing works like there's still other interesting things about it and you know the execution of it or the business side or whatever else but like you know it kind of works the same as it did last year as it did five years before right yeah. like that's a very different type of role to be in and it appeals to different types of people right some people some people hate the idea of having to go and like relearn you know their skills every like six months and i can understand that too but it seems like that's like part of the job that you enjoyed yeah for sure like i mean whenever someone asked oh like so what would you classify as your big skill like i think i've never said tech because i don't think i'm necessarily that great of a coder I agree. I, it was me coding myself being like, how does this work in this language on Google? Like I taught that part to myself. But what I would say for me, the biggest skill that I had was talking. Like I could talk to people and communicate things back and forth. That was easily the biggest thing I had. And then at the same time, just very quickly being able to learn stuff and pick things up and being okay with it. Like it don't, I mean, don't get me wrong. I have definitely gotten to a stage in the last year where I'm like, please slow down. Like I, I can't have one more thing change on me. Like I cannot do it. Like I'm sick of it. I don't want it. I don't want any new advances in AI anymore. Like I have had it all. Like I don't want it all. Um, but it don't, I mean, I've got I've, in the last year, I really have just gone to a stage where I'm like, I'm not looking at any of it until I have to look at something. And then I'll just look at whatever's happening then. But it does take a lot to be able to just go, okay, well, I have to figure this out and I have to get this developed and built in the next day. And I, can figure my way out around it and there's skills attached to that like don't get me wrong of like how to google is a skill just saying i'm gonna google this and find an answer is not a thing and uh, it takes so long to find that like and i see so many people in college at the moment my own sister and like my cousins and everyone included who are like oh yeah just and i'm like they'll do something and i'm like i'm looking at it and i'm like how did you do this and they're like oh like i figured it out and i'm like uh-huh how did you figure it out and they're like, they'll start, I'm like, oh, I looked at a few articles, blah, blah. I'm like, no, no, keep going. Like, I know exactly what's happening. They're like, I'll chat GPT this. I'm like, there you go. I can tell because that's not the right answer, but I know exactly where you got to it. And it's so interesting where it's just like that skill of Googling until you find the right thing. Like, it's a very small niche thing that has to change to get the right answer. And it's on Stack Overflow or some other like tiny little blog that some guy's written in the corners of the world that's going to be the answer. And like that skill is something we are losing quite rapidly. Wait, but how do you think that skill is different to like using something like ChatGPT? Because ChatGPT generalizes the answers. And I think it's really interesting because whenever they're trying to solve a problem and they'll put in a really specific problem or use case, A, they'll never be able to define the problem well enough for ChatGPT. And B, ChatGPT isn't actually smart. It's just repeating what it's seen a billion times. Like the answers it's giving back it's not that it makes sense, it's just the most likelihood of that being the next word. So when it does things like lying, it's not really lying to you, it's just giving you what it thinks the right answer is. <laughs> so things like if I ask for, and I've done this before, where I was like, hey, can you give me a few courses or like 
tutorials on I don't know managing a team I, I don't know what I looked up it was like asking the right questions or something I was trying to find some research around it it made up courses and it was like coursera.com forward slash how to ask better questions like it looked like a perfect link but that's because it's just figuring out the likelihood of what comes next which in that context makes sense because Coursera is probably where you're going to find a tutorial on something like that and that's the kind of piece that gets lost in it so when you're looking for coding advice on chat GPT those things do fall through because that real life experience isn't there it's more just people all of people's answers aggregated and generalized up whereas for things like stack overflow or blogs and stuff they've explained their context and they kind of go into like this is why this works and not this yes. and many times you'll figure that out even if the right answer isn't on screen, but reading someone's answer, you're like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I know what I've done wrong. That happens a lot more when you get that hang of Googling. Mm, very interesting. That is interesting. Um, okay, let's go back to your to your story a bit, right? So we picked up, <laughs> we, we yeah. picked up, um, let's pick up kind of from where, you know, you started this, this graduate role, but I kind of want to, you know, we've talked a bit about what that role was like for you and kind of you did and what you enjoyed about it and everything else but i kind of want to zoom forward to you know an inflection point that you would had you know probably in the last year or so right and um, where you ultimately burnt out um how did how did that come about and what was that like um so that happened because it was kind of two main things i think uh the first one being in about four years i went from being that data science like a grad role to becoming a senior consultant to a managing consultant to like a practice AI lead. And that happened like very rapidly. Don't get me wrong. Amazing. I was like, oh my God, I'm on top of the world. This is everything I'm meant to have done, right? Like just some fast forwarded, amazing stuff I'm doing here. Uh, there was just no break. Like that all happened from 2018 until 2022, um, which is terrifying because we had a whole world endemic in the middle of it and the lockdown. And I was in Melbourne for the whole lockdown. And I just didn't take a break. And I don't know what I was doing in hindsight. Stupid. Very, very stupid of me. Uh, but that was a big piece of it for me, where it, just, it was just constantly go, go, go. Um, and then the other big piece of the burnout for me was um, feedback. So I was, I was so used to getting really good feedback in that first place I started as a grad, where that was just the culture where it's like, every time you did a project, there was a retro that would happen. And you would invite people to kind of double blind uh, review everyone so you would put your own feedback against a question and other people would come in and put feedback against yourself and then you can compare and you usually mark yourself a lot harsher than everyone on your team would be mar marking you and you're like oh I'm actually doing better than I thought it was uh, and you picked up things and you learned things they're like hey you're not really that great at this piece of the puzzle which at the start was not asking for help uh, that was something that was told to me multiple times throughout retros and stuff and that's how I figured out how to fix it but as I progressed and moved through different companies and stuff, that piece of the like not every place is going to have a great culture. Not every place is going to have the same kind of values. So the last place I was at didn't really value that piece of feedback as much. And that's where I struggled so much where I was like, hey, feedback time. And they're like, yeah, you're doing great. That's not feedback. That does not help. Like if you're ever in a scenario where someone asks for feedback, please take a minute to be like, wait, what do you want feedback on? And are you in the position where you can actually receive it, like do all the work that's associated to feedback. Um, but yes, yeah, so I wasn't getting feedback and I kept being like, okay, well, they're not telling me I'm doing enough or not enough. Like they're not telling me either way. So I'm just not doing anything. Right. And it just, what happened was work just basically took up my whole life. Uh, cause it constantly just felt like I wasn't doing enough because I wasn't being told I was doing enough. And did I need to be told that? 
apparently. I didn't realize that was something I needed, but now I do. Um, so that happened and it just became a stage where everything else I was doing on the side just took a backseat completely. Um, and I was constantly just working like well above what I should have been or needed to be doing, but it just ate up everything. And there was other contexts and stuff associated to like, um, I was selling AI work and getting more work in the door, but then also was doing all the work. I'm like, this is not sustainable. <laughs> like I can't be a one woman show on the whole thing of great. If I've sold work, someone else needs to do it so I can get more work. But no, it was basically, it was just like me on like, I think at the worst part of it, I was working on four different clients at the same time um, and managing it all single-handedly. And I was like, I don't know how I've done this. Like, I don't know how I got through that. Like, I don't know how everything didn't go up in flames. Um, so yeah, that was my burnout basically. So four years in and I was like, oh no. And it was, I realized, and I look back at it, um, I think it was July, maybe I realized, I was like, I said it to someone, I was like, hey, I think I'm getting burnt out because when you work in tech, you get told this a lot. Like you're like, Hey, be careful of this big, bad thing called burnout. Um, so you get told that a lot. And I was like, Hey, I think this is what that looks like. And I think I'm getting close to it. I was already fully burnt out at this stage, by the way, when I was like, maybe I'm kind of getting there. I'm like fully gone. Um, but I was like, maybe I'm going to stop saying yes to a few things. Uh, this is me telling like my manager at the time. And I said, yeah, yeah, great. Like you do you, whatever you need. And then like three months go by nothing's changed. And I'm like, Oh, and now we're so badly burnt out that we're like blown up our whole lives at this stage. I'm like, oh my God, nothing makes sense. Like have to quit. Um, and yeah, so it's been a year since I finished working. So it was the end of October last year, um, which I just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. And I was looking back at a lot of photos and like screenshots and stuff from the time to like, piece, I'm like kind of going back over my year now and like trying to figure out what I did and didn't do. I mean, I look at some of those things and I'm like, oh, I've forgotten how bad it was. <laughs> like mm. I was saying to a friend and she was like, oh, you were a shell of yourself. Like you were not you. We could all see it. And I was like, oh. Really? Like in what way? In what way? Um, It was really interesting. I think I got to a stage where I was so stressed that and in such stressful situations because of work, like trying to manage so many different things. I don't actually remember a lot of the time like it's fully blocked out like at the end of the day I wouldn't and I mean this is where I was like COVID or like just stress I don't know what's messed up my memory but it's gone like at the end of the day there would be days where I'm like I have no idea or not even the end of the day like in the middle of the day I'm like I don't know what happened in that meeting like my notes that I've written down I could not tell you what I said about that meeting like I probably remember what someone else was saying but I'm like I I don't know what I said like that is just, it's a piece of blank in memory. Like what is happening? And I mean, at this stage, I'm like, I'm losing my mind. Like was the first thought and I went into like my GP and I was like, hi, help, please. I think I'm losing my mind. And she's like, that sounds like stress. Are you under stress? I'm like, a little bit, like, I don't know, like not major. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, I was desperate for like at that stage. Um, and I mean, a lot of this is at the same time like backed up with, for me over lockdown, I didn't realize how bad my mental health had gotten and um, it spiraled. And a lot of it was because I was kind of forced to take a break. And I thought I was taking a break because I wasn't traveling as much and I wasn't doing all the things I was doing before COVID. But I was filling my time doing other things and I was actually a lot busier throughout lockdown than I probably was before lockdown when I was traveling and doing all the other things. Because so I gave myself breaks before then and I didn't do that. So it was a mix of everything that happened. So it was like spiraling mental health and then like work taking up a lot of my time. And it was just, it blew up a lot. So quit my job and I basically just, I look back and like a friend of mine was like a couple of months ago, I caught up with her for lunch and she was like, 
you're back. I'm like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? She's like, you're bouncing again. I was like, ah, oh, there we go. Apparently I wasn't bouncing. That was one of the biggest triggers of like, you're not you. I'm like, okay, great. Um, but yeah, so I think it's really, really hard to see it when you're in it. Like, I don't really remember a lot of it. I don't remember what I did or didn't look like, but I know it was hard. I remember, like, I look at the messages. I'm like, that didn't sound like myself. Like, I did yeah, sound yeah. like a different person when I look back at them. And and do you have any ways now to kind of spot if you were to get back into that state again? Or if, you know, somebody is listening and they're like, hmm, I don't know if that's me or not. Like, are there any kind of ways for them to be able to, questions to ask themselves or ways to see if they're in a position like that or if they're you know maybe on the edge of it right because i guess the better time to catch it is before it gets like too far and um, yeah like a lot of the things i've realized over the last bit is like the time boxing stuff for me um that's become like a whole personality trait at this stage i swear um but time boxing what that gives me is a really really good view and i'll do it like sunday night i'll plan out my week and just general time box like okay this is what's coming up and then like every morning like usually with a cup of coffee when I have my coffee in the morning I'll sit down and actually time block the whole day out and I've gotten pretty good at knowing myself in terms of right okay a task like this is going to take me 20 minutes or writing an email hilariously will take me like a solid half an hour if I know what like who the I'm like oh I know that's going to take me half an hour so I'm just going to block out half an hour to do that is it going to actually take that no but I know I'm going to need that buffer <laughs> to give myself that time if I because I if I squeeze it in too short I'm not going to get that done. And then I'm also not going to get the rest of the things I want to get done. Um, so I'll block the times out like that and I'll fully plan out my day and calendarize it. What that gives me is like, okay, I know for the week now, at the end of the week, this is what I have and haven't done. And my biggest piece was like, I haven't done enough. So when I've got tangible proof showing me, I've actually done all this stuff and I've ticked off all these things and I've done it and it's in front of me and I can't really argue against it because it's very much like, retrospectively tangible that's that helps a lot for me where I'm like I can't say I haven't done enough work because I can see I've done enough work and it's like in a visual like blocked out calendar um and the other piece for me and again obviously these kind of things will change depending on what you see and value and how you think about yourself and so much thing the other thing is like a psychologist like I needed to be in psychologist's help and therapy I'd say sometime in 2020 and I didn't until 2022. Like it took two years where I just like really should have. It was lockdown and I really, 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 really needed it. I kind of just pushed it off. I was like, oh, I'm fine. I'm just a bit busy. I'm kind of a bit lazy. Whatever else I like, excused it as. I got help as soon as I quit my job. And oh my God, like in the last year, I've seen her whatever many times, like at least once a month, if not more. She, <laughs> she is my biggest accountability person now where she's just like, nope, you've said this thing and I know exactly what you mean because you did this three months ago. And I'm like, oh Lord, <laughs> the worst person I could have said this to, but you'll also say it. But um, And it doesn't have to be a psychologist. It can be whoever you want it to be, but find yourself and surround yourself by people who will call you out. Um, if that's not a psychologist, you'll have people in your corner that will call you out and they will know when, hey, you're doing too much or you keep saying this thing about yourself, maybe just check yourself what's happening. Like, if you and you know you're aware of it right like you know you probably get to a stage where you work too much uh, get someone to check in get someone to just send a message being like hey have you logged off like shouldn't you have logged off by now you done what's happening um there's kind of blocks you can put put in where i know i will never trust myself for any deadlines i set myself but i will when someone else says it to me so that's how i go around it 
Mm. You raised an interesting point about kind of the, you know, the need to be able to prove to yourself that you've done enough work, right? Uh, this is something I've grappled with so much. And I actually think it's like a broader thing that a lot of our generation like go through. And I think like the kind of origin of it is like, we're told, you know, we can do whatever we want. And then if you end up having like talent or like performing well in school or university, you're getting a graduate job, like that reinforces it. And um, I'm literally repeating what I've discussed here now with my own like psychologist. <laughs> and she's like, you know, this kind of like drive for like productivity and achievement, like it's constantly reinforced. And it's like, becomes quite a subconscious thing. I spoke to another person actually this morning who also worked at McKinsey and they said the exact same thing that like they go on holidays and like they have to do something like productive, right? Like the idea of like just sitting by the pool and vegging out is like torture, right? Like and productivity could mean like reading or writing, or, you know, but having to do something, it's like it's it's almost like an addiction to doing something productive um and like earning the earning your rest as well right like i used to think that as well i was like i have to earn like you know my relaxation and my psychologist was like why like why do you have to earn this like you have a right to like relax you know i think especially in the last year i've had friends i've got a friend who is my therapist when I don't have time to go to my therapist honestly I call her I'm like hi <laughs> need a session like she's done so much work that I'm like oh, I will benefit from this forever um but she says this a lot where she's like just you you just you existing is enough like you don't have to have done something today to have done anything you just being who you are because you're a great friend and you do all these other things for everyone else you just existing and breathing is enough. And she'll say it to me very, like she says, especially when it was really bad, like said it to me a lot. And I remember at one stage where I was like trying to tell her, I'm like, I just can't get myself to do anything this week. Like, it's been so bad. Like, I just want to do this one. Like, and this is a lot of like, just my own mental health. Like I really struggle with trying to get stuff done. Like the procrastination piece, like just sits in and it's so hard for me to move out of it. And she's just like, but like, it's, an, it's fine. Like your body just doesn't want to do it. It's okay. And I'm like, shut up like I don't want to hear that like I don't want to hear it I just want to do the thing it's so funny like the back and forth and kind of between the two things but and it takes so it takes so long to grapple with kind of that like it's okay I will take the break and I will literally appreciate it and it'll be fine and I swear it'll be fine it's yeah it's impossible but yeah because like the first time I used to think look at these things right where you know it's like oh you are enough I was like fuck that like that is <laughs> like, some that, weak ass shit <laughs> like, you know? uh, I'm like don't get me wrong and this was literally like i'd say two weeks ago where she would have said this to me and i'm like shut up i don't want to hear yeah. it like i know i'm enough but i don't want to hear that like i know i can do more i'm like no it's such a weird like back and forth yeah the interesting thing was for me that i kind of discovered was like um I used to have this belief that like a lot of my motivation would like come from the idea of essentially like not being enough. Right. Because if I, if I accept that I'm enough, right. Well then, Oh sweet. I'm good now. Don't need to work. Don't need to improve. Like I'm good. Whereas like, and the idea of not having that drive, like freaked me out. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm not enough, then I've got something to work towards and that's my motivation. So I can wake up tomorrow. And it's like, fuck, that's really unhealthy. <laughs> like that's, yeah. a, oh, that's not a good spot to be in. But I um, yeah. Really interesting that was like, when I took a break, I didn't realize how much I valued, not even me valuing it like as much necessarily. I was probably trained into valuing it. 
but society really values titles and the last year of anything else has taught me that was like when I quit my job I mean for the first six months I just went or six months six weeks I just went to like India for like a family wedding and stuff I would have been there for like two weeks I was there for six weeks instead this time I was like yeah got nothing else to be doing might as well go see my grandparents and stuff and in India I basically revert to being a child because I don't have to worry about stuff I'm like ah, oh, someone else will take care of me this is fine uh which was actually what was really needed like it was a very level of privilege like I get great comfort in that I can't like people can't just quit and just go some, sit somewhere for six weeks I get that but getting to do that really just like was almost just a flick switch where I was like right I was completely turned off my brain I didn't have to think about anything didn't have to worry about anything for six weeks and then I could kind of come back and I was like nowhere near fixed from burnout but at least at a stage where I was like right I can start fresh I can think things I can start now but when I did come back and I started kind of going back into the community I was like right I definitely don't want to get a full-time job can't I'm definitely not ready for that but I was like all the community stuff that I do like at least that'll keep me busy I was like I definitely need something to keep me busy because if I'm not doing something what am I doing (laughs) it was again the same thing in my head too and I remember I'd go to like conferences or whatever I was at and people would be like oh what do you do and I had never noticed that question and it's the first question we ask everyone and it is really jarring when you suddenly don't have a good answer to that like and I mean maybe part of it is arrogance but it was like I've always had I always had a good answer before that like I did a really good degree like I really I had a great job like I had a great job title to talk about before that where don't get me wrong there's always times where like so wait what do you do and then I'll say it and they're like oh oh and you just immediately see you're getting put into a different block but when you say oh my career break or oh nothing at the moment you also see the other block that you get put into and it's so interesting it was very very just eye-opening and like I've gotten to a stage where I genuinely refuse to ask that question like I really won't ever ask someone what do they do and I just like I'll keep talking to them and I took it took work to do that and I was like oh my god it's so ingrained it really was such a piece in there of what we're all being taught to value and I'm like I've now gotten to a stage where I don't value that anymore but my whole life you've been trained like hey you go to school and then you do good and once you do good the minute you're doing good in school, you're like, well, we expect you to do more. Now we expect you to get your degree. Now we expect you to get a good job. Now we expect you to keep going. It was really, really hard to break out of that. Yeah, 100%. 100%. And I've actually talked to so many people on the podcast who said similar things. Said, oh, this guy, Ogi Hollywood, he's been on a couple of times. He used to work at Google and he was like, it's so easy, right? He's like, you're right. So I was like, what do you do? I work at Google. And he's like, oh, that's so cool, whatever, you know. And then he's like, once I left, it's like, well, I don't have that shortcut anymore. And actually, yeah. I interviewed a woman, uh, Amy Smith, in episode 24. And I asked one of my first questions out of my mouth on an interview was like, so, Amy, like, you know, what do you do? And she called me out on it. And she was just like, she was like, I think that's an awful question to like ask people. And I was like, you're actually so right. Like, and her point was like, you know, you're trying to use it as a shortcut. Like, I, I understand why we do it, right? It's, it's, I don't, there's certainly no miles behind it, right? It's just like a shortcut to try and place this person somewhere, um, like in, in your realm. Cause like, it's uncomfortable for us to like be talking to somebody without being able to put them somewhere. Like, we need to kind of yeah. categorize them like socially. And um, I'm not saying that's the right thing, but like, that's kind of like our innate instinct. Um, and she was like, you know, well, like, I'm a mom, like I'm a husband, like, or I'm a, I'm a wife, like I'm a sister, I'm a daughter, you know, yes, I do some things to make a living, but like, that's just like one tiny part of my life. And I was like, that's like actually such a, such a fantastic point. And I think like this idea of like 
your identity being tied to your job is like really, really challenging, right? Because like, what does that mean? It makes it harder to leave your job. Also, let's say things aren't going too well at your job. Now you start to suffer from like an identity perspective because you're like, well, I am my job. And so if my job isn't going well, I'm not going well. So like there's all these challenges and I can talk about it because I've been through the whole thing, but like yep. I find it, oh, yeah. um, yep. <laughs> I find it, I find I it very interesting. There's no one left that hasn't felt like, I mean, sorry, no one left. Once you've been in a career or industry or whatever long enough, you've definitely felt it at some stage. You just haven't recognized it. And I think it's awful that I had to realize it through like having to take a year long break out of it. That is terrible, but I mean, I don't regret it. I'm very happy. I'm very, like, very high level of privilege to be taking a year out. Don't get me wrong. But w I mean, it would have been easier had I not had to go through all of this to realize it if I've been in a healthier place all along. But then if I'd been in a healthier place all along, would I have done all the things I did? Like, would I have had the motivations to do all the things and push through, you know? Like, it's a real, like, when is the line? Probably never. <laughs> oh, I know, I agree with you. I think, like, the one thing that I would, you know, hope for people to be able to get to is, like, where they're comfortable saying, when somebody asks them, you know, what do you do? To be able to say, like, nothing. Or like, actually, do you know what, like, like Amy did and tell me, do you know what, like, there's better questions to answer. Because I think once I, when I, when I had left my last job at Wayflyer, at the start, I felt very conscious about saying like, oh, you know, I, I would try and come up with a, a story, you know, so, well, I, I used to work at this like tech unicorn, but now I'm like taking some time out to figure out my next steps, whatever else. And then I was like, do you know what, like, fuck it, like, I do nothing. And like, I don't if you're going to judge me for that then you're probably not the type of person i want to hang out with anyway and so i was just like yeah i do nothing and just like see what they say and it was actually quite funny sometimes i'm like oh okay but what do you actually do it's like no seriously i do <laughs> nothing right now <laughs> i mean it's funny because like i've done i do that now right where i'm like i just the people who matter to me are the people i can't remember who said this recently they were like the thousands of people have opinions of you and they will comment or whatever but the people who matter are the ones who have my number and they can text me at the end of the day. Like, I love I that one. Their opinion. And it was such a good way of putting it. And when random people are like, oh, so what do you do? And I'm like, I really just don't find the need in me to ever like, qualify that anymore. I'm like, I've got a billion things I've done and I know that. And I'm very happily like, okay with it all, right? Like I've got all these titles and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, nothing. And I just I, like sit back and I'm like, I'm happy to be able to deflect the conversation and like turn around like you tell me about you like this is great go keep going I've got friends who are like shut the fuck up this is all the shit you do like let me lay it out for you and I'm like I don't I don't need it but like it's nice it's always nice when people do that but at the same time when it's randomers trying to quantify me into a bucket it just doesn't bother me anymore I'm like and then there's times where I just go out of my way to be like oh no no I literally just like I downplay it even more. <laughs> I'm like, no, I just, I, I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what I'm going to do in my life. I think, yeah, try. And they panic. If you say that to someone at like an networking event, they panic because they're like, oh no, I'm going to walk away. It's almost like a disease you will spread to me. Like, I, no, no. And I'm like, great. Didn't need that conversation. Yeah, yeah. Or, or, or they want to make you feel better about yourself. You know, they almost like oh, pity you and like, feel sorry for you. I'm like, like, oh, you'll get a job, no problem. And I'm like, Mm, yeah yeah i'm like well you're the one stuck in job that i would actually hate to do every single day but that's fine um <laughs> um look in the last kind of few minutes that i have i do want to cover off like a couple of things so um you know you've always kind of been in this community of like people working in the tech sector um and whatever else and 
you know, not just within data science, which is kind of what we talked about, but kind of like the broader tech sector. And there's a lot, like this is obviously a big, very, very popular sector. There's a lot of people always moving, like moving into it or are interested in moving into it. Um, I'm interested to know, like for the people who are listening to this, like what are some of the biggest misconceptions that you think people have about working in tech? Um, that they are not enough is usually the biggest one. And what I mean by that is like their background or their experience or their level of qualification or whatever else it might be is not enough. Uh, you don't have to have done a four-year degree. Uh, you don't have to have done a four-year degree in computer science specifically. Um, you don't have to have done a boot camp necessarily. Like I met someone literally last week who used to be a, I want to say English, but I might be wrong, like some kind of a high school teacher. Sorry, she definitely told me a lot more about the story and I should remember who she was. But she fully self-taught herself like everything that she knows in data engineering is a full-blown data engineer has been working as a data engineer for the last four years and i've known her since the last four years i always thought she did a boot camp just because of the people she was around but she was around those people because they were also career transitioning into tech not because she was also doing the thing they were doing and it was really interesting to be like oh my god i thought that the whole time about you whoa what were my assumptions they were wildly wrong but also why am i making those assumptions um so that's the biggest piece. I think you don't necessarily have to have a very large background in education of tech things or computer science things or whatever else it might be to get a job. It will be harder. Yes, it'll be harder to prove to specifically recruiters being like, we need 12 years of experience in X where that X hasn't even existed for 12 years. Like that will always be a thing in tech. But breaking through that piece, it takes effort and it takes hard work, but it's doable. Mm. Like that's kind of the main one i think yeah that's actually that is quite interesting um i I imagine like that would hold a lot of people back right from even kind of exploring this career but if somebody is then like you know they've listened to kind of your story or they've read other things and they're like do you know what i think this i think this could be interesting for me but like i'm not sure i'm doing something different right now it's not technical i'm not working in the tech sector you know how can they figure out if this is something that actually might be right for them um the one thing I'd always say, like, and I know someone else has said this, where they're like, don't just quit your job and take the wild leap straight away. Like, I get it. Like, it's scary. And like, maybe just don't do that straight away. But everyone at this stage works some way related to tech. Like, you are using products every day that are tech. Therefore, you have a company. Sorry, if you're working at a company which uses some kind of computers and you're working within it, that company's got to have an IT department. Hit up, like, that team and being like, hey, what are you usually doing? As many people as you can talk to, it will start the goal. Like the biggest thing you can do is start talking to people, whether that's internally in your company, like in your company, they'll probably be the easiest people to get in touch with and like get them to give you time because it's company time and it's not them giving up their own free time. If that's not possible, hit up your community. Like, especially in Australia, it's a very active community. I'm not even joking when I say you could probably do every single day, Monday to Friday in the city for free dinners because there will be a community event happening. Definitely used to be true before lockdown. It's kind of getting back there now. You'll meet so many people who'll be able to do, talk to you about what they're doing and what they're not doing. And as you start doing that, you'll tech is a very big wide world. Like there's software engineering and data engineering and there's just normal data work. And then there's cloud engineering and there's all these different types of engineering. And it's, does it, do you even have to be an engineer for this? Like, can you be working in data or design that have very separate things? There's a lot to it, right? And the more you talk to people, 
a lot of that can be deduced and like kind of bucketed a bit where you're like, okay, so that's what this means. These, what these terms mean, start differentiating it out a bit in your head and you can start kind of like that sounded kind of cool what that person was doing. Let me hear a bit more or let me find a few more people like that who can talk to me about what they're doing. So podcasts like this, or even my own one, where it's like people career transitioning into tech and how do they do it? And what do they find? All those kind of things are going to be your data points to see what sounds cool. And once it sounds cool, find the people who are in that and being like, hey, how did you start? Like, what's the one thing I could try out? So if it's something like data, like the easiest thing I tell people to do is like data visualization. Download Power BI. It's free to download. There's a dashboard in a day course kind of a content. It's like it's giant PDF. It's like 100 pages, but it's 100 pages because it's literally like screenshots of like click this button. And once that button, the next screenshot is like the drop down from that click of like click this button. But it's literally at that stage of like it will guide you through and within like five six hours you know how to use that product that's that's a full job like that is someone's job just making power bi reports also imagine like if you've done that for a day right at the end of it you're gonna know if you were like oh my god that was painful (laughs) like you know okay never do that again (laughs) or if you or if you're like you know geez actually that was pretty cool i kind of like lost track of time there for a little bit and i've got this cool thing at the end it's pretty satisfying you know then that's actually a really good signal and you've got a signal from like doing something real as opposed to just kind of like conceptually thinking oh would i like to do that for a day because you know we all know there's probably thought things that we thought we would have enjoyed and then we actually got to do them we realize actually no and vice versa yeah so within that, I think the more people you talk to, that's going to be the easiest way of getting into it. And then asking those people, what is the kind of lowest hanging fruit of trying this out? They'll have an answer. Like Power BI for me is usually the classic one that I go refer people to just because it's easy to get started. It doesn't matter your experience with it. Everyone will have their own kind of like low hanging fruit that they can kind of point you towards. Give that a shot. If that's of interest, come back. We'll have a chat. Yeah. Yeah. And people should definitely go and listen to your podcast. And um, by the way, I've listened to a few episodes and really really enjoy them how do you describe like kind of the the concept of what you do on your podcast um so it's just basically it's kind of similar to this where we talk to different people in their careers and stuff but it's all on traditional pathways into technology um so kind of very focused on exactly this aspect of like i've had ballerinas like juilliard trained ballerinas who have transitioned into working in ai now or english teachers and librarians and maths teachers and all these different things. Um, I had someone who used to work on a boat, like, you know, like below below the deck. Oh, yeah. Like essentially, she lived that whole life. I was like, yeah, and I kind of got sick of it. So I started doing this instead. I was like, that's amazing. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's super interesting kind of hearing. And almost every single person's trigger, usually for career transitioning, is like, um, there was this thing that I was really annoyed by and no one was fixing it. So I tried, tried to fix it. And it was actually really easy. And I was like, wait, is this what tech is? That's kind of how it all started. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. everyone kind of starts into it almost generically along the same lines. Like that individual story is very different, but yeah. yeah. I think it's a good point. And kind of coming back to what you were talking about earlier in terms of like, you know, misconceptions. It's like, I think sometimes people look at this and go, oh, but like, I would have to be like this absolute genius to be able to code something, right? And it's yeah. just like, that is not true, right? It's just another skill. Like, Software engineers look at marketers and go, how in the hell could they ever make like a video like that or whatever else it is? It's like, turns out if you spend a few years actually learning how to do something, you're probably going to be able to do it. Right. And so it's not like this mythical thing that like nobody can do. Like, that's just not true. Like normal people go and do these things like all the time. It's just a matter of doing it and taking 
taking that leap but uh yeah like that, i think your podcast is actually a really really great way or place for people to start like if this is something that they want to learn more about we've obviously only covered it at a surface level today and um, there's tons more i would have loved to have talked to you about and that we didn't even get to we've whole sections of our docs um but we <laughs> you know perhaps we'll have to have you back on for uh for a second episode at some point I mean, I'm good at spiraling. I'm good at chatting, <laughs> but we're also good at spiraling out of context. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, this is this is great. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation that I just had with the Kancha. It is honestly so nice to have guests back on the show and to be able to have a conversation with people instead of just talking to myself for 45 minutes. But I thought she was amazing. I loved kind of getting her breakdown on what kind of roles in data science and working in data looks like. I thought she did a really amazing job of painting a picture of what that life actually looks like. Really enjoyed her transparency around like salaries and expectations. And there are just so many opportunities in this big old world of tech. And it's great to have somebody like Akancha to kind of introduce people to that, right? If you're not from that world of tech, if you don't have that background, but you're interested in getting into it, like she was fantastic at explaining like some of the paths in and some of the tips that you can follow to see if it's something that you're interested in seeing if it's a career that you might like to pursue. I would definitely recommend that you go and check out her podcast if it is something that you're interested in. And I will chuck the link to that into the show notes. I also loved just her story about getting burned out. Well, I mean, I didn't love the story to be honest. It's, it's obviously was quite shit for her and a pretty rough experience, but I think it's something that seems to be getting more and more common. I seem to talk to people the whole time and like, you know, people in their twenties and stuff, um, getting burnt out at work, which is absolutely shite. And I hope, um, I hope people aren't going through that, but I think she had some good tips for kind of trying to spot it early and, you know, her story about how she was able to ultimately deal with it and come out the other side was nice to hear as well. So go check her out, go follow her. Uh, she's got lots of really, really amazing content and conversations herself. And if you want more content like this around kind of how to find a career that you enjoy talking to, like hearing about kind of different paths that are out there, different advice on how to progress your own career, get jobs, you should follow this podcast and myself on socials. So on LinkedIn, you can just follow my personal profile, which is Steve Duke. And then on Instagram, go to the two roads pod. So I post lots of kind of clips from the podcast, but then also kind of other kind of content that perhaps doesn't make it to the podcast, uh, but is still interesting and helpful. So you can follow me there. The Divergence program has officially kicked off as of today. So I can't plug that anymore, <laughs> but uh, you've missed out. You've missed the boat, unfortunately, but that's okay. I'll be running it again in the future. And um, this is my program to kind of help people figure out over a course of four weeks, what it is that they want to do with their career. Uh, but I'll be running it again in the future. But if you follow me on socials, keep listening to the podcast, then you'll be up to date with whenever that does happen. Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I will see you back next week for episode 42 of the Two Roads Podcast. <laughs>